Amen. What an amazing truth to be reminded of. Um, the words of that song, I, I just found so strengthening and encouraging, right? He will hold us fast. Justin, thank you for that encouragement and that reminder for us today. Great. Well, we are continuing today our series, The Search for Meaning, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, And so we're going to be reading today from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7. So if you do have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open that up and find Ecclesiastes 7. uh, And we're going to read from there in just a moment together. Uh, But just while you're looking for that, I want to say, in my view, and, and this is just my view, this isn't kind of like a, a widely held, like all scholars agree that this is the case. But in my view, these verses that we're going to read today are some of the, the most pivotal, that significant verses in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And so as we've been working through this series, The Search for Meaning, going with King Solomon on his, as he kind of recorded his exploration through life to try and find meaning and purpose as he tried out all these various different things and then recorded it for us. Um, In my view, these words we're going to read today are some of the most significant because actually these verses help us make sense of a lot of the other things that we've read in the book of Ecclesiastes and that we will go on to read, actually, they, they help us make sense of comments like, life is just a vapor or a mist. It's, it's, it's like the merest, the, the faintest of breaths. So we talked in the first weeks of this series as it being like the, the smoke from a candle that you snuff out. And it's kind of like it's, it's real enough, like you can see it and you can smell it, but you try and grasp it or hold on to it, and it, it's just, you can't get hold of it, and it, soon enough it's gone. Uh, comments about the vanity of the accumulation of wealth and possessions, and the ultimately unfulfilling experience of academic accomplishment, all of those things that Solomon has written about and that we kind of grapple with in this book make a whole lot more sense through the lens of these verses which we're going to read today. Now, I want to give you a heads up. On a first read, they are probably going to sound a bit odd and might leave you going, what is going on? But I just want to encourage you to to stick it out uh, and we'll see where we get to together. So let's read uh, from chapter 7, verse 1 through to 6. We read this. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. I'm going to pray and then we'll get stuck in together. 
Lord, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that every word of it is breathed out by you uh, for our good, for our benefit, for our training and instruction, and ultimately, Lord, to point us to you, to show us what you're like and who you are and how we might find life and hope and meaning in you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear today? Would you give us hearts ready to receive? And Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand and apply these words into our lives today for our good and for your glory? Amen. Okay, well, where do we begin? A good name is better than precious ointment or fine perfume. And we think, so far, so good, King Solomon. We like that. We're okay with that one, yeah? I don't think any of us would read that and think, that doesn't make sense. To have a good name, a good reputation, to be thought of well by others is, is better than just smelling good, right? Like, I would rather people spoke well of me and thought well of me than they were just like, it's got some nice aftershave. <laughs> yeah. But behind my back, they were like, man, he is a horrible person. We, we kind of read that and we think, yeah. We think, Solomon, this is wisdom. We can get on board with that statement. It is indeed better to have a good reputation and be well-liked than it is to be a horrible person who happens to have purchased some Jean-Paul Gaultier perfume. But Solomon doesn't end there in this passage or even in this sentence. In fact, he goes on in perhaps the most perplexing of ways because having said a good name is better than precious ointment or fine perfume, he says, and the day of death better than the day of birth. And you think, what? Like, what on earth is going on? Like, what a strange pair of comparisons to make. A good reputation better than smelling nice. Comparison one, makes sense. Then comparison two, the day of death better than the day of birth. And you just think, what? (laughs) And that's what we're going to unpack a bit today, and we're going to see what he means by it more fully in just a moment. But first, we need to notice what's just happened, what he's done here. See, actually, he began by talking about reputation and the desirability of a good reputation, and then he jumps to death, and he makes these two seemingly unrelated things one better than the other statements next to each other because he wants us to consider something. He wants us to consider what will people say when I'm gone? When it comes to the day of death, if a good reputation is better than fine perfume, what will people say when I'm gone? What about my life will be remembered? What story am I telling with my life now and the reputation I have that will be discussed when I'm gone? And even this week, as I've prepared for today and considered some of these things, I think, like, what will it be? Will it be, you know, he, he liked music. 
he enjoyed reading, or he shouted at the rugby. My children might remember me for that. Who knows? Or perhaps other things that we are tempted to invest our time and energy and finances into, like he had a nice house. Who knows? Or would it be things like he was captivated by the kindness of God? He lived his life to please God before men. Or he loved and served others and sought always to point them to Jesus. What are the things that we'll be remembered for? See, thinking about how we'll be remembered and what for begins to bring focus to how we're investing our time now. What our priorities are now. Because what we do now will be what we're remembered for in the years to come. And that thought, that consideration, that question of what am I living for? What am I investing in? Is really what the writer of Ecclesiastes wants us to consider in the verses that we're reading today. And when he says that the day of death is better than the day of birth, he's not saying that death is better than life. Okay? Just let's be clear on that up front. He's not saying death better than life. That's not what he's saying. No, he's saying, though, that there are at least two ways, which we're going to look at today, in which the day of death is better than the day of birth. He's not saying death is better than life, but just one occasion is better than the other. We're going to spend most of our time on the first of those reasons, and I hope it will become clear as we go, and then we'll conclude with the second reason that I think the writer of Ecclesiastes would want us to grasp. And so the first is this. When it comes to evaluating the meaning of life, which is what this book is all about, the search for meaning, when it comes to evaluating the meaning of life, the grave is a more powerful preacher than the cot. And that is the first way in which the writer of Ecclesiastes wants us to see that the day of death is better than the day of birth. And that's because of this. See, new Life, new birth is full of potential, full of possibilities, full of stories yet to be told. When we see a newborn, that's what we think of, what's yet to come, the possibilities ahead, the the life that is laid out before them, that they're yet to live, so much yet to do and see. But death does something different for us when we're confronted with it. See, death arrests us and forcibly reminds us of our mortality, of the fact that this life is not forever, that our time on this earth, as kind of harsh as this might sound, but that our time on this earth will come to an end, sooner or later, all of us will die. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, we don't like to think about that. We like to kind of think, that's down the line, just ignore it. It's not happening. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. There's been songs written about that too, right? 
I'm sorry if no one's ever told you this before in this kind of way. One day you're going to die. And the point of these verses today is to say that that truth can't be avoided and shouldn't be avoided. Not in a morbid way, but actually in a way that causes us to live right now with purpose. That causes us to give our lives to something that's of worth. Something that's enduring. You see, when we're faced with the reality of death, it helps bring focus, doesn't it? It actually causes us to question how we're spending our time, how we're living our lives. It does for me, anyway. When I allow myself to consider the fact that, in the grand scheme, this life isn't that long. And one day I will die. See, death reminds us that actually all you collect, all the things that you amass and you surround yourself with to make things feel comfortable right now, all of that, you can't keep it. Death reminds us of that. You can't take it with you. Death reminds us of the fact that we only have one life here on earth and that the decisions we make in this life actually have eternal consequences. We can invest our time and our resources wisely in the scheme of eternity or foolishly. And that's why the writer of Ecclesiastes goes on after this initial contrast to say this. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. He's saying all of us are going to die And so it's better, or it's more wise, and we're going to get to the wisdom part of it in a moment, to go to the funeral and be reminded of your mortality and the fact that you will one day to die than it is to go to the party and distract yourself from that reality. I'm not saying partying's bad or it's wrong to feast or wrong to celebrate. In fact, he would say that is a good thing. But if you're going to do that and live distracted from the fact that you will one day die, then that's not very wise. He carries on, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And you think, doesn't sound very cheery, <laughs> but it's so important that we grasp this. It says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. What does he mean? He means that we are wise. We are wise to let the reality of death wake us up and cause us to consider what we're really living for, what we're investing ourselves in right now. But in contrast to that, the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. It's pointing out that many of us would not be wise and would not allow the reality of death to wake us up 
to think about the meaning of life, to think about what we're doing, where we're going, what we're invested in, and instead we want distraction. So he says, the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. He says, many don't want to be in the house of mourning. They find it too uncomfortable. They find it too challenging, and instead we prefer to distract ourselves from it. And so we go to the house of feasting, the house of mirth. Many of the things Solomon has already considered in his writing and we've read about in the past weeks are used actually as distractions. He's written about money and relationships and entertainment and work and says we can throw ourselves into these things wholeheartedly. We can invest all our energy, all our time, all our resources into these things actually to keep ourselves distracted from thinking about what really counts, from thinking about what we're really here for. Now, COVID, in lots of ways, actually has given us a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to stop and think about what we're really here for, what we're living for. You know, in an average week, not during... COVID, not during headlines about pandemics, but just in ordinary life in the UK, an average of around 10,000 people a week die. That's just shelf COVID. Ordinary, no pandemic going on, UK, in the average week, 10,000 people die. Well, we don't hear that figure very often, do we? Unless you go looking for it. In fact, we hear 40,000 with some connection to COVID and we're absolutely staggered by it. We're floored by that figure because we just don't think about or allow ourselves to think about death a great deal as a society. We've pushed it out <laughs> of our lives and out until it forcefully puts itself in front of us again because someone we know or love passes or someone who's in the public eye passes we like to live like it's not a reality we distract ourselves from it and for the first time many of us through covid-19 all of a sudden with statistics daily in the news about numbers of people dying all of a sudden have been confronted with it for the first time at that kind of scale, in that kind of way, in our thinking. Lots of the things that would usually keep us busy have stopped or been put on hold. Hobbies. Many people put on furlough from work. I know others of you have been incredibly busy with work through this time, but but lots of people furlough from work. Hobbies stopped. All sorts of things that we would go out and do. The pubs closed. The shops for a while closed. All these things that we would go and do to fill up our time, put on hold. We had a golden opportunity, as it were, to stop and to think about what, We're giving our time and our energy what we're giving our lives to. 
Now, the wise response would be to allow it to wake us up and to ask that question. And I know some people did just that. I'm sure some of you spent some time considering these kinds of things. But you know what? On the whole, people haven't done that. (laughs) In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, on the whole, as a nation, we've responded like fools going to the house of mirth or the house of feasting, even though we couldn't go out to feast until the summer and then we all had to go out to help out and those things. But um, (laughs) actually, the majority of us have just looked for more avenues of distraction. Food consumption went up. Many people gained weight through lockdown as a result of comfort eating and a lack of exercise. TV consumption surged massively, more than a third up on normal viewing figures. In fact, so much so that the average adult in the UK during lockdown spent an average of six hours and 25 minutes each day watching television or online streaming services equivalent. That's almost 45 hours a week of television. (laughs) And maybe, maybe you feel like, honestly, between work and family commitments in those moments between, that you've fallen into this trap of escapism, of distraction over the last months. I want to encourage you today, as we read these verses today, to take stock, to press pause, and to really consider what am I giving myself to? Even right now in this moment, ask that question. Allow yourself to stop and to think it through. Where am I really investing my time and my talents and my treasure? What am I living for? And is it worth it? It's not an easy or comfortable question to ask. But it's so, so important that we do. The writer of Ecclesiastes continues, he says, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. What he's saying is, surround yourself with wise people. Surround yourself with wise people who will challenge you about what you're doing with your life and how you're spending your time. Who will ask you about those things. Who will help to keep you on track. Find Godly people who will hold you to account and as uncomfortable as it might be and as unpopular culturally as this word and this concept is, actually people who will, when necessary, who will rebuke you when needed. And trust me, we all need it at times. I need people who are going to call me out and go, Owen, whoa, (laughs) Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Come on. 
And you need people who will do that for you too. So it might not be comfortable or easy to be challenged in this way, but it is so, so essential that we allow ourselves to be. See, the song of fools, as the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it, the song of fools might feel good or sound nice in the moment, but it won't actually do you any good. The the song of fools that he writes about here is really man's way of thinking instead of God's. It's worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. It's words that fluff you up and make you feel good in the moment, but don't actually lead you to the place you need to, and that is to God. Into the arms of your heavenly Father. It's things like follow your heart. Do what makes you feel good. Get all you can while you can. Just do it. Live to the max. You deserve it. See, in the end, Solomon says, this is like the crackling of thorns under a pot. Now, that's a strange picture for us in our culture on the whole, but I love this picture that he's painting with words. I love it. Because if you've ever tried to cook over a campfire, you will get what he's talking about as you gather fuel for the fire. See, you see, for a good, hot, long-burning fire that you can cook on, what do you need? You need decent-sized bits of wood that will burn hot for a long time. What you don't need are thin brambles and thorns that might burn very brightly and go up easily. They might make good kindling, but they make terrible fuel to cook over. They produce a lot of smoke and a lot of very quick, bright light, but they are absolutely useless. See, they, they look good and sound impressive for a moment. The crackling of thorns on a fire, under a pot. But they're very, very quickly gone. And they won't generate anywhere near enough heat. And they won't stick around for anywhere near long enough to cook over. So it might look and sound good for a minute, but you're going to go hungry or get sick from food poisoning if you try and use them to cook with. What he's saying here is don't, Live with frivolity and distraction. Get wise and godly people who will speak into your life and allow yourself to come face to face with the reality and inevitability of death. Let it give you focus. Accept it as an invitation to consider what is really worthwhile in life. So the first way in which death, the day of death, is better than the day of birth is that if we allow it to, it teaches us to live with true wisdom. It spurs us on to live with purpose. It encourages us to give ourselves to the things that really count. So where are you headed? Honestly, where are you investing your time, your treasure, your talents, Is it here and now for personal gain and 
short-lived pleasure? Or is it in helping others to find hope and life in the finished work of Jesus? If I'm going to be with Christ in glory forever, then I want to do everything I can to take as many people with me as possible. The good news of Jesus is just too good not to share. So when I think about that question of what am I investing in, it causes me to think things like this. I want to give everything I've got. I want to give all my time and all my energy and every ounce of my being, all my abilities, to doing everything I can to help other people encounter God. But I don't always get that right. Sometimes I lose sight of that and I begin to prioritise other things. I prioritise my own comforts or my wants and I start trying to fill my life up with things that don't endure. But death reminds me that there'll be a day when it will be too late. There'll be a day when it will be too late for you and a day when it will be too late for your neighbours and your friends, your relatives. We need to live now in the light of eternity. And I've been really challenged this week as I've prepared for this about having a greater sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus with those around me. Reminded again that I'm not going to I've not got forever. I've not got forever to do that. So death invites us to embrace this eternal perspective and leads us to live with wisdom here and now. The second way in which the day of death is better than the day of birth, and this is much shorter than the first way, uh, just if, in case you're going, when he's only done point one, like, like what's the time? <laughs> is this, that for those who have put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus for the, forgiveness of, for the forgiveness of sins, the day of death leads to life. Death is the doorway into eternal life, into the perfect presence of God forever. See, death is the beginning of the fullness of life in, in two significant ways. One, that when we die, if our hope is in him, we will be raised again to life eternal with him. And secondly, because actually it was through Christ's death at the cross in our place that we have that hope of life. So death is the beginning of fullness of life. See, Christ took our sins on himself at the cross, died the death that you deserve. And when we place our hope in him, consequently we now fear no condemnation because the price has been paid. Our sins dealt with once and for all. And because Christ rose again on the third day, victorious over death, well, we don't fear death because we have a risen saviour and a resurrection hope. See, in some ways... uh, as a guy called Philip Ryken points out in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, actually in some ways the, the day of death for believers is the best day of all. It sounds a strange thing to say, but when you have an eternal perspective, it makes absolute sense. Because in the day of his birth, 
he was born to die, but on the day of his death, where he dies, to live. In Christ we have a hope beyond the grave. and There's a glorious hope indeed. Now that doesn't mean that we want to die. Okay? It doesn't mean that we're some kind of weird death cult. You know, well, it would be much better if we were all dead. That's not, <laughs> that's not the Christian perspective. That's not what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. That's not what I'm encouraging you today. I'm encouraging you to live your life now with the perspective that death is not the end. That there is a greater and more glorious life to come if your hope and trust is in Christ. And so I want to encourage you to allow the hope of glory to weigh in on your decision making this week. I want to encourage you to allow the prospect of eternity in the perfect presence of God to be the lens through which you view your life here and now. The priorities that you have, the decisions that you make, the things that you give yourself to, I want to allow it to encourage you and stir you again to share the gospel that others might come into that living hope too. And I want to encourage you to let it ease your burdens and lift your head when you feel weary. So you might live a very difficult and painful time on this earth. I don't know all of your circumstances and situations, but you might live in a permanent state of pain and discomfort and challenge. But if you hope in Christ, then you can face all of that in the sure and certain hope that this life is not all there is and that death is not the end, but actually the beginning for you of a glorious Eternity in the perfect presence of God where there will be no sickness and there will be no pain. Yeah, we have a great and glorious hope. We're going to pray and then we're going to share communion together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have done everything necessary for us to come into relationship with the Father. We thank you that you paid the price for my sins at the cross. Lord, that the penalty I deserved, the death that I earned for myself as I make decisions in self-interest and reject the giver of life, you paid the price at the cross so that through your death I might receive life and life eternal. And Jesus, I thank you that you rose again victorious, the firstborn from among the dead, that as you rose, we have a sure and certain hope that we too will rise and be with you forever. Lord, I pray that you would seal that on our hearts today. Lord, help us to live this week in the, in the light of eternity with you. Help us to allow our eternal hope to weigh heavy <laughs> in, into our decision-making and our priorities. Lord, we don't want to live as fools, distracted with all the things that this world has to offer. Instead, we want to live as wise people who recognize that this life is short, but eternity is long. 
We want to live for you and for your glory and encourage others to do the same. Help us to do that this week. Amen.